Hi, and welcome to the Making Our Way podcast. This week's guest is Jen Griffin, the Black Sheep, and she tells us all about her 48-hour furniture flip challenge in February. Thanks for listening. Hey, hey, guys. (laughs) How are you? What's going on? (laughs) I think Dean's asleep. I'm not asleep. Y'all were just giggling and being goofy, and I decided not to partake. Um, I've been making this is shoes. Serious business, okay. Apparently yeah. so. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been making shoes, but I'm gonna hold off on the shoe talk. I think till next week, uh, when I hope to have them finished. What I'll tell you about instead is, in exchange, I've been going up to this leather shop in the hood and using um their post arm machine, and it could be the hood, Austin. I mean, it's there's a window unit if that tells you you know, where I'm at. Yeah. So I um I'm using their post arm machine. In in exchange, I told them I would help them get some of their woodworking machines up and running. And in addition to the woodworking machines, he was recently gifted some more leather working machines. And I kind of wanted to tell the story is kind of like a safety message to everybody who's listening. So one of the machines is really, really cool. It's a strap cutting machine that can take a whole half of a hide at one pass. Wow. So it's got a uh, dual rollers. They're about 16 inches in width. Um, they, the bottom one rolls, you know, they roll into each other. And then you have blades that you you set at whatever your you know inch and a half, two inches, whatever you want your width, and cut straps with it. And there's all kind of guards and stuff in place, but it didn't work. So we were looking at it, and I was pressing the switch, and I noticed there was no action in the switch. Like you couldn't feel anything click. And I said, I think we need to replace the switch. I, I think the switch is bad. And so I took it apart, and I just connected the wires, like jumped the switch to where it's on when it's plugged in. You know, there's no switch. Connect all the wires just to make sure everything works. He hits the pedal, comes on. I said, okay, it works. The switch was the problem. I have an extra 220 switch Hmm. from when I did my house-made grinder. Let me go home. I'll get this switch. It's a nice one. You can pull the safety key out of it. It's one like you'd find on a lot of big tools. I'll get my heat shrink and all that other stuff, come back, and we'll get this thing wired up. Well, while I'm gone, they start taking parts off the machine to start cleaning. They want to get oh. like the rust off the blades and get the guards cleaned out and all the leather gunk out. Well, one of the things they start taking off are some of the wires so that they could remove, you know, panels and whatnot. And oh, no. they put it back together and they don't put the wires back in the same place. And so basically what it has is it's 110. Com- I said 220 earlier. It was 110 machine. It's a, a one horsepower motor, single phase, um, but it goes to a voltage dropper reducer that goes down to 24 volts. And that works all the electronics for the machine itself and its safe and its safety switch. And so then there's a a relay that whenever the safety switch is on and you press the power button, the relay kicks on, tells it that it can run, and that sends the 110 through to the motor. Well, the relay is not working anymore. And so I'm looking at it and I'm looking at it. We spent two hours trying every configuration. Could this get this thing to work? I go home, I have the schematics pulled up. I'm trying to redraw everything based off of pictures I took. So finally I go back and I tell the guy, I'm like, look, I am very confident that if it's just power coming in, a voltage drop, a relay, a motor, I can make this thing work. What's messing with me is the six wires going to this safety switch. So we're already putting a power switch on it and it only runs when your foot's on the pedal. Let me disconnect the safety switch and it'll work. I know I can get it to work. He says, okay. I disconnect the safety switch, wire everything in a way that makes sense, plug it in, puts his foot on the pedal, it works. I'm like, okay, great. So let me remind you, it only works if your foot is on the pedal, and we installed a toggle switch that it's a big button that you, like you'd find on a table saw or on a mm-hmm. bandsaw. You know, it's a big button that you can flip down to turn this thing off. Well, I go back inside and start sewing again, and about an hour later, I hear a scream. Uh-oh. And I run out there and what they've got is they've got a big eraser like you would use to clean a, a belt sander or something. Oh, right. right. And they're right. using that to clean the rollers on this machine until both those rollers decide to suck in this eraser oh. like it's designed to do and the kid's hand with it. Oh, oh no. no. But thankfully, the space between the rollers is significant enough that it just kind of like I, it hit his finger and scared him. But it didn't crush anything. It sucked the eraser in. That kind of stopped things and kept the space where it didn't crush some knuckles or anything. But the first thing he did was hit that safety switch that I've disconnected. Whoa. And I'm like, Uh-oh. take your foot off the goddamn 
Vic, just move. All you do is move and it would stop. But he still hit. So I'm like, so not only did we disconnect it, we obviously have to remove it completely so that you don't think. But then also, you know, let's not. Now, if he if it's in use, there are guards in place. You can't get your hand in there. It only takes, you know, a thin piece of leather. It's not going to take a human body part. But it was a scary situation that reinforced the safety switches are there for a reason. You've got to be familiar with how equipment works. Anytime with rollers that roll in like that, it's a it's a hazard to suck you into it. You know, the one thing that does kind of have a safety mechanism in the similar situation is an old washing machine with the ringer to do you guys did you guys ever experience that when you were no. your parents were washing? But they were it was the electric kind. <laughs> no, my parents didn't live during the depression. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was a tub washing. I mean, it was a electric washing machine, but there was the ringers, the two rolls where you literally sent the laundry through after it was washed to wring out the water before you hung it on the line to let it dry. And I don't know how many times, you know, cause you're trying to send it in there and you get your fingers caught. And after, after it eats enough of your hand and squeezes enough of your hand, the top pops. There's like mm. a, it like kicks itself off and it kind of like releases. So thankfully it will do that. But also it had a foot pedal too. So you're, you're, it's going because you're pushing on the foot pedal. But, you know, when your hand gets caught in there, moving your foot is not your first thought. You know what I mean? Just because it's, yeah, it's a, your first it's thought is to thing. grab your hand and pull back, which right. means you're pushing your feet down harder because you're <laughs> right. getting closer. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So in that vein, I saw Austin, you worked on a project recently too that tried to help you know, mitigate a safety risk you had with the mill. Yeah. So today I was working on um, my uh, VFD panel. It I, I made basically, if you think of it like a com- like a computer monitor arm, like an adjustable arm. I just made one of those from scratch because I was worried that anything I bought wasn't going to be strong enough to hold the weight of that because there's a lot of stuff in that panel. Um, And so my milling machine, when I made the first one, I wasn't sure how far the mill was going to be off the wall and I made it too short. So I was kind of having to lean past my cutter to turn the machine on and off and adjust speed and things like that. So that's what I actually worked on today was, um, making an extension arm, which was all it is, is one and a half inch square tubing. And you just drill the ends and kind of cut a, cut it to a V and then run some bolts through it. So super simple project, but it's so much less sketchy now. Did you consider any more um, advanced design, like a an articulating arm situation where there was one more pivot, maybe a foot from the end? So not only did it move on the wall anchor point, but also you could you had another adjustment point. There, so it has two pivots. There's one at the wall and then there's one on the back of the unit. So you, so you get two. Um, if I did one more, the, the problem is, is uh, you get weak links and when you're going to press buttons, it wants to push away from you. Sure. Sure. So, um, I actually, originally I was using lock nuts to, so that I'm like, that way it can still pivot. And then that was terrible. Like, cause it would pivot when you're not, when you're trying not to get it to pivot. So I ended up, um, add in some washers to take up the slack. And then, and then once I got it where I want it really tighten the bolts. So it's kind of, you can still move it, but you got to like you need shove two hands it. Kind of, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. That's cool. What else you've been doing? Uh, just shaking ass on TikTok. you know, that's, that's pretty much it. What about real products? What about the Hexacto? What about more mallets? I mean, yeah. So I made the, the so the first run, in fact, um, right here in my hand is the hexactos the first ones that are going out which is i'm calling them the prototype run um and everybody that are my prototype people are getting those um including you guys so that way i want some people to put some hands on them before i do a big big run but i am gearing up like all the materials on its way here right now to do i'm going to try to do 30 for the first run awesome and uh we'll see how it goes so I heard uh, Vincent say he wanted number one. Will you give him like number one B or number like just something <laughs> a little off to make number him question? One, is this truly number one? He did not get number one, there unfortunately. Somebody else had already claimed it. There you go. 
I don't need it to say, number one, I know where I stand in our relationship here. And I am that high up that I don't need to worry about the rest of the little people below me. So but I'm you know okay. who's getting number two. And he's right below me on the screen. (laughs) (laughs) That is awkwardly correct. I usually ask for like seven or eight, but yeah, when you ask for numbers, I was like, yeah, whatever. I don't care. Um, Speaking of all that other stuff, you know, before we hit Christy, I got your watch in um, last week. I actually took the back off, got the mechanism out, um, ordered a crystal on eBay. So crystal came in on Tuesday. I just haven't sat aside because you have to take off. It's called the chapter ring. That's the part that the like dial on the front. The spin. The, yeah. So you've got to get the chapter ring off to push the old crystal out. Um, I'm going to do my best to get it tuned without replacing springs and stuff. I'm no, you know, horologist, but I'll do my best. Is that a real word? It is on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. I've what retired my horologist ways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been up to Christy? Um, let's see, last past weekend, we, we put the lights, we, it was also electrical related. Um, we got the light in and electric running out to the, the metal working area. So gosh, dang, that's just, it's just so nice to be able to, to have light out there. And, um, and then even when I got the, I had the cutter out there to cut some of the metal for uh, the base on the coffee table. It was nice. I had no extension cords. I just plugged right into the to the door to the um, post. Lighting is so rewarding because it's like oh. it's it's almost instant gratification. Yeah, you know it's not like painting or something like that. Like it's it's you hook it up and then fl- flip the switch and it's either you right. know success or fire. So it's well, it's definitely rewarding. And we had the six inch puck lights, you know, that went in the recess lighting in the outside there, and. The ceiling is the same material as the side. It's the um, it's that concrete board. Yeah, like the board. Yes, and so, but so the week before, the guys installed that on the ceiling. So then we're trying to use the hole saw to cut six inch, you know, diameter square or circles in there. And let me tell you what, holding that above your head on a ladder trying to put oh my gosh that was a that was a, a little job, bit man. of a yeah it was yeah. a little bit of a, a, full, trick. a full six inches is way it's like overkill it's like monstrous well but the funny thing was six inches was cheaper than four inches at the store well, you so a hey i mean hey if, if you if it costs less why would you not take six inches as opposed to four six is definitely better the funny thing was once we got I installed one with all the, as far as all the wiring and, and Marvin did three and we're like, all right, we're ready to turn on a flip the switch and Marvin flips the switch and three of them turn on three of the oh, four, no. three of the four turned on. And what does he say? The I mean, I, I know what the answer is. He didn't have to specifically say it, but he's like, huh? Wonder who put that one in. Oh, and I'm no. like, dude, you didn't have to point it out. I know I had to do that. So, you know, there's three little three wires and blah blah blah. So I had to go back up there and one of my wires had come loose out of the little the little cap. So I had to that's undo how them. Shops and, get burned down. and put them back in together. But I was just like, oh dang. Uh, you know. But yeah, it's nice to um, have a little electricity outside there now. That's cool. Today on the Making Our Way podcast, our guest is Jen Griffin, the Black Sheep. How are you doing tonight, Jen? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you all for having me on here. Absolutely. Well-deserved. Why don't you tell our audience a little bit about you, who you are, and what it is you do? Well, so I'm based in Louisiana, and I mostly what I do is uh, paint furniture. So, you know, I'll take an old piece that was destined for the landfill and turn it into something lovely and functional. That's awesome. It takes a great eye to do the furniture flip. And speaking of a great eye, I think we were all tuned in to your recent 48-hour flip challenge you did back in February. Why don't you right. tell us, what was this 48-hour flip? How did you get aware of it? And what prompted you to do this competition? 
Well, so I, I've been trying to, you know, find my furniture people on Instagram. So, you know, it's just going through different, um, you know, different pages and, and seeing what all's out there. And I came across this one um, and it was Ivy Lane Interiors. And they said that they were doing a 48 hour challenge. And I had never done anything like that at all. I'm usually just in my little studio garage doing my thing by myself. Yeah. Um, so I said, okay, well, let me try, let me try, see what I can do. I love the, the challenges. I think it pushes us outside of our comfort zone. And if I'm correct, you had this piece already. Is that right? I did. I did. It was actually, um, I picked it up for my birthday last year and it had just kind of been sitting in the corner, um, waiting to be loved. And was this challenge, you think that's kind of what pushed you in this direction? I think so. I, I mean, I think it seemed like the perfect piece just because, you know, I, I resell furniture in a shop. So, you know, and details very important to me. Um, you know, I want to make sure my clients are happy. And when I was rushing through, I figured it would be best to maybe just do a piece for myself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah I like that. And you referenced sure. that a few times in your, your highlights. Uh, I agree with that. But since we are an audio format, why don't you kind of describe the piece, what it was, what made you first acquire it for yourself and maybe what you thought the vision was for it at the end. Okay. Well, um, so I picked it up in an auction. I go to auctions a lot and it was a 15 drawer. Um, it had like an Asian feel to it. Yeah. Um, you know, very much so with the gold and, and the wood and um, which wasn't all wood. There was a lot of composite board to it. Um, but it was just a cool, unique piece. And, you know, I'm always drawn to those types of things. And yeah. um, I'm a big fan of card catalogs. I have a huge one um, in our kitchen, you know, that we sh- put all the things in. So I thought I could use this one, you know, possibly in my sewing room, um, you know, to store all my sewing notions and such. So, and because it's me and I I like color, you know, I went with, you know, a bright pink and, um, you know, gold and yeah, it was my vision. So the first thing I thought when I saw the piece you picked, I said, wow, a card catalog, what an ambitious pick for a 48 hour challenge, not a flat table, not something that's easy to just sand right away. What an ambitious pick. And then two card catalogs, if, if, our listeners don't have experience. They're one of these things that you see and they either have nostalgia because you're old enough to have used the library card catalog system or they're mm-hmm. really beautiful. A lot of times they're really nice oak and and mm-hmm. just have a great Art Deco look to them, but they could be the most useless drawer size of any piece of furniture. So to hear that you've got one in your kitchen you find use for and then you were still encouraged yeah. to do this torture again, that's right. how, that's pretty neat. Well, the one in the kitchen was actually, um, we found it in the state cell. It was from the Tulane Law Library. Sure. And so it's wood and it will never see paint ever. You know, that's <laughs> just would be ridiculous. It'd be a crime. Um, yeah. Yeah. A little bit, a little bit. So, you know, but this piece, you know, the the quality wasn't as strong. So I felt perfectly fine and totally changing it. So obviously you knew this challenge was coming up. You knew what your piece was going to be. How did you sit down and go, this is the direction I'm going to do X, Y, and Z to make this piece? Well, that in itself was kind of a challenge because I kind of just start on a piece and just follow it wherever it goes, you know, so to That's actually my like, as well. yeah. Yeah. So to actually like pinpoint that this is what I want to do. These are the tools I need. This is the supplies I need to have. Um, you know, I, I definitely I'm a list maker. So, you know, I pulled out my legal pad and made my list and all of that and ordered my hardware ahead of time. And um, so, yeah. So I'm kind of curious with the 48 hour challenge and your piece there, like what are the rules or what are the restrictions with this type of a challenge? So um, the rules were that we um, it was a 48 hour challenge. So it started February 22nd and you couldn't start before 12 o'clock in your respective time zone. Um, 12 o'clock noon. And then so you had to, you know, use the hashtags and all of that, but you couldn't clean the piece. You couldn't 
prep the piece. You can do anything to it. You can just set it in place, photograph it. This is what I'm going to do. And you can touch it until 12 o'clock. Now, was there like some sort of like way you needed to like register that or was that just on everybody's good faith? Uh, we had to timestamp our videos um, oh, okay. and that sort of thing, you know, but it was definitely, you know, on the honor, honor system, system as well. But, you know, the timestamp um, and with me being new to all this, I didn't even know how to timestamp. So <laughs> I, I learned a lot. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious, like looking at this piece and they, have you ever done one that you've with this much detail on a card catalog or anything like that before? Or is this the first time you, cause you said your other card catalog paint will not touch it. So have you done one like this before? Well, I've never done a card catalog type situation, you know, but I've done, um, definitely I've done the decoupage before I've decoupaged mm. and sold like a little coffee table. Um, I've decoupaged like the back of the dresser, um, you know, because sometimes people will buy furniture so that they can float it in a room. So uh -huh. I try to make the back look pretty as well. You know, mm -hmm. I try to pay attention to all those details. Um, so I don't think there was a lot of, of new skills oh, that I had good. to incorporate. You know, it was more just building upon, you know, what I've been doing, you know, for the past several years. I'm curious with the decoupage, was that old newspaper or can you kind of walk us through the that process? Sure. So um, it was actually from a 1953 Burpee seed catalog. Nice. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that I cut out individual little pieces of the catalog, hundreds and hundreds. Um, and I had had. I actually didn't have to cut any out because I had done, you know, that decoupage treatment previously. Um, mm -hmm. So I had a lot left over. But yeah, you know, it was the middle of the night. and I've got my little Mod Podge and my <laughs> burpee seed catalog. Just, yeah, decoupaging away. Well, that's how I was kind of curious if and it make this a sewing room piece of furniture is a great idea, too, because I was kind of wondering if maybe it was going to go into a sunroom or like a garden area because of those pictures on the, on those front of each of the drawers. Now you had also mentioned the hardware that you bought. Where do you get your hardware and specifically what type of pieces did you get? So generally if I'm able to like on any of my furniture pieces, I try to use original hardware. You know, that's always the mm. goal, you know, because that's what the end of, you know, the maker picked for that piece. So I mm -hmm. I try to stay true to that. But, um, you know, Hobby Lobby has their nail uh, knobs on sale every other weekend. Um, so I'll go out there. But this I actually I ordered on Amazon. Um, you know, I try to shop local as much as possible, but I couldn't find those anywhere. So it was were they were they spray painted because they were all all the accents were gold. Was that uh, spray painted or was that also some of the Dixie Bell type paint that you normally use? It, it was uh, a gold Rust-Oleum spray paint. Um, yeah. So I was out in the middle of the night in the dark in the backyard. <laughs> I had my dogs for protection um, spray painting. Yeah. Gold hardware. And then I had to flip them over. And so, yeah, it, it was fun. <laughs> You had mentioned working late at night as well. Could you sleep during that 48 hours? Because I would be like, <laughs> I would be like constantly worried that I'm not going to get it done. So how did that like 48 hours feel for you? Well, actually, when I first signed up for it, I was like 48 hours. This is perfect. That's plenty of time. Mm -hmm. But then um, so we're in the process of starting to relocate. Um, we're moving to Ohio this summer. So there were some houses that popped in the market. And we had to get to Ohio to look at these houses. So <laughs> my 48 hours turned into 30 hours. You know, oh, wow. so yeah, so I, I slept three hours. Oh my! In that period of time, it yeah, it was ridiculous because you know it was a huge project, and you know you have to wait for things to cure. You can't right, you know, you can't just prime it and then paint it and then seal it. You have to give it time. So yeah, it was it was crazy. I had so much coffee, so much coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did so you bad? 
use like a heat gun or a or a hair dryer or anything to kind of try to help get the paint to dry any quicker? Well, I mean, I'm in Louisiana, so it, it was oh. hot. Yeah. So, um, but I did have my fan going, you know, and pretty much the paint will dry pretty quickly. You know, I had to do four coats of paint on the actual, the pink color. Um, so that took a minute, but you know, you have to, I did two coats of primer, you know, those things have to sit for a little bit before, um, you can apply paint. And normally on a client project, you know, if I prime, I'm waiting 24 hours minimum before Mm -hmm. I'm going to put paint on, you know, but for me, I'm like, well, if there's bleed through, then, you know, it'll be in my house and I can fix it, but it's, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Can you kind of touch on the paint that you use? Because I think uh, that's the same paint that I used recently on a project. Can you kind of go over those type of supplies? It is. Yeah. So I use uh, a line. um, It's called Dixie Bell Chalk Mineral Paint. Um, I found this line. It's actually uh, the owner of the shop where I sell at. She carries that paint. And, you know, it's a great quality paint. Um, All the products work together really well. And they have great colors. And I love mm-hmm. bright, happy colors on furniture. Um, so, yeah, it's a perfect fit. But yeah, I strictly use Dixie Bell paint. That's it. That's all I use. Yeah, I used them on the cabinets, as you know. You, yeah, I appreciate yeah. your input as I was painting um, the cabinets in my, in my shop. And I just, I'm so tickled with how they turned out. Because yeah. you're right, the paint really... It, the quality really was there and the colors just worked so well together. You know, it's yeah, funny you say that about gin and the tips. When I was doing Caitlin's uh, table and I was trying to scrape the clear coat off of it or the wax finish off this old table, Jen was one of the people who reached out with like a tip to condition old furniture. Yep. So always willing to share. If you're not following her and you need tips every time you're struggling, she's a good account to follow. She's your girl. Thank you. Yeah, I try to, you know, people, it's not like it's a secret, you know, Um, you know, I'm more than happy to share what color I used or how I did something. I get a lot of messages, you know, I want to paint something that will match what you did. You know, can you tell me what you did? Absolutely. I can. Absolutely. You had a lot of neat little tips and tricks you did working on this piece. One uh, on the drawer fronts that we already talked about, you decoupage or mod podge, uh, you had kind of a template to help with the hardware. Tell us about how you came up with that and how well that worked for you. Well, I thought it was really important because of how the drawers lined up. The hardware had to be on point. You know, if it was off to yeah, the side, it was sure. it was going to look awful. Um, and I math is hard, <laughs> so I didn't want to measure each and every drawer. And because of the size of the drawers, um, I just traced it onto a piece of cardboard, um, measured out my center and then that way. And then I just clamped that little cardboard template on the front of each drawer. Um, and I used my drill and just, you know, drilled for my new hardware and it was perfect and so much easier than calculating each and every drawer. Absolutely. Now that we've covered things that went perfectly, Maybe what's some struggles you had or something you wish, uh, you know, just didn't work out the way you wanted it to. Definitely when I was banging off that trim on the bottom of the piece, you know, I took a giant hunk out of, you know, and and I, I can fix it. You know, I can fix just about anything, you know, but it was just, OK, now I have to um, really build up some Bondo on that spot and then sand it down. So. So, yeah. So that was probably the only like hiccup, I would say. Let me be a little unhospitable. Did you ever say, how about a saw instead of just banging this thing with a hammer? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I did. I don't know. There's something kind of powerful with taking a hammer or something though. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You even did the little Thor sticker on your story when you were doing it. And I was going, that would have been a quick, (laughs) a quick pull saw trick. Or jigsaw, but hey, yeah. hammer gets and it I, done. I, yeah, I have all those things. You know, I have a well-stocked workshop, but sometimes I just resort to a hammer. Yeah. She chose so, violence. wrong with that. Yeah. Let's do a, <laughs> this true. or that. It'll. I think it'll be a good transition. And then we can just okay. go into your furniture flipping on the whole. So okay. 
I've got a few uh, this or that. Uh, first, I, I know you have some chickens, so I was curious, do you prefer to sell your chicken eggs on the black market or just to neighbors and friends? Uh, well, uh, yeah, they don't really lay anymore. Mm. Yeah, they're, they're, so they're old chickens. chickens. No, <laughs> no, 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 they're pets. They're just, right. uh, yeah. So you talked about the start at the 40 hour, 48 hour flip at noon. If it was up to you, what do you think is the best time in a 24-hour day to start a 48-hour challenge? Um, so I'm an early riser, so I would say 8 a.m. Sure. 8 a.m. Get a full day in. Absolutely. Then, okay, that's a good I, one. I think that that's everybody's answer in Louisiana. <laughs> They're like, please, before <laughs> noon. Yeah, before it's yes. 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 <laughs> yes. All right, so you're a glasses gal. Uh, when you work in paint, do you go with your eyeglasses or safety glasses? Um, so I should probably wear safety glasses, but I wear my glasses and they always have paint on them. Always. <laughs> All right. And then earlier you mentioned that uh, you really like color. So who is your most creative kid? Is it the uh, the redhead that we all know or do you have one that's more creative? Um, so yeah, so all, all of my kids have very, you know, different strengths, but I would say, you know, Jake, Jacob, Jacob <laughs> is super creative. Um, yeah, I, I think admire we're all going to start him. calling him Jake. No, don't please don't. <laughs> I don't call him any of those. I call him Griff. <laughs> Griff. I'm saying yeah. we all call him Griff. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. But yeah, no, he's, he's Jacob, but yeah, he's so creative. Um, and he has always been, always been, I have so much respect for his work. All right, so now let's get yeah. down to tax. Which one's your favorite kid? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. All right, Good I've answer, got an easier Mom. question. So I wanted to know, um, when you're out searching for these pieces, you said you're an auction person like me. Oh, yeah. What causes certain... Because when I look through your feed, you've got like mid-century modern, you've got Art Deco, you've got some contemporary stuff. What draws your eye? Like what makes you choose the pieces that you choose? Um, so yeah, so I have a very eclectic style, you know, so I, I like the quirky piece. I like the piece that, you know, looks like it's on its way out the door, you know, not in the greatest condition. Um, you know, I can fix just about anything. So yeah, so I, I look for, you know, quirky and, and different and yeah, for sure. So you said auctions, but besides auctions, are you a, uh, a Facebook marketplace hound like I am like constantly. Yeah. No. Is there any other things that you search? Um, so mostly, mostly it's auctions. So like we have a local auction house we go to and our friends are there. And um, sometimes I feel like they're buying and bringing things in just for me because they know Jen <laughs> is going to love this. Um, so yeah, so the auction is big. We'll do some estate sales. We go picking um, when we're in Ohio um, to bring back to Louisiana, you know, when we're visiting there. So, so yeah, but I'm, I'm not buying and I haven't bought anything in like six months. And I still have a huge amount of inventory because I'm a furniture hoarder. You know, I can't pass <laughs> up a good deal. You know, you have 50 million tools and I have 50 million side tables. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious, traveling back and forth, do you find that furniture maybe in Louisiana is more attractive in Ohio or vice versa? Like things they want to throw away in Ohio maybe has a collectability in another area? I think so too. I, I think good quality furniture sometimes can be a challenge to find in Louisiana. Um, you know, I had heard once that, you know, there's not a lot of antiques, mostly because like, you know, we fled so much, um, you know, from hurricanes and, you know, a lot of furniture pieces were lost in Katrina. So, you know, I feel like there's more antiques, you know, the further, you know, up, up north that you go. Um, you know, and sometimes they're they're less expensive up there as well. Sure. You had mentioned that there's usually not something that you can't bring back to life, but I'm curious, have there been pieces that you've just thrown up your hands and you're like, I'm sorry, piece of furniture, it's just not gonna work out this time. If there have there been any that you've just given up on? 
Um, so Art Deco, Austin mentioned Art Deco. Yeah. So like the Art Deco waterfall type furniture, it's made up of just layers and layers Lemons. of veneer. Yeah. Yeah. So I had one, um, you know, and I kept stripping off the layers and then there was nothing left. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was like, okay, this is, this is going in the burn pile. Yeah. But I would say that was probably the only, only one. And that's been years ago. So maybe, you know, that I, I'm more knowledgeable now. Maybe I could have saved it. I don't know. So is the key to in those situations to to keep stripping down until you get to something solid? Or is it to, you know, Bondo, build it back up or put some other type of veneer? What's your what's your usual go to process there? So definitely I I try not to start ripping away, you know, layers because you never know what's underneath, you know, mm-hmm. it could be something fabulous or it could be something horrible. So I, I try to work with what I, what I have, you know, but sometimes on those art deco pieces, you know, that top layer has just been exposed to so much air and humidity and you can do whatever you want and clamp and glue and it's still going to lift. So I'll go for that top layer now, um, but I try to be as gentle as possible. (laughs) Now, are there any pieces that you, types of furniture that you see and you're like, nope, I'm not going down that road again, or I, it's just not my thing. Are there anything, anything you avoid? Absolutely. If a piece has already been painted. Oh, I try to steer from those as much as possible because a lot of times they're painted with latex paints. Maybe they weren't properly primed so that, you know, there's no adhesion um, and it's gloppy. And, you know, yeah, I, I I think I have one in my studio now that I bought like four years ago that just keeps getting shoved to the back um, <laughs> because I, I don't want to mess with that paint, but it's a cool piece. And, you know, eventually I'll get to it. But if, if I can, I will stick with, you know, something that's not been painted already. That's good. So I have like certain things that when I go to auctions, I'm like so attracted to every single time. Mm-hmm. And they're called lathes. Like that's what I am. am, I'm just pulled towards it. Is there like a typical type of furniture that you buy way too many of? And that it's like your, it's like your thing that you go after all the time. Yeah. Um, so furniture wise, um, in the past it was dining room sets. Oh my goodness. That's a a commitment. Did you pick something easier to store? (laughs) Well, if you've got like a $5 dining room table. Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. So um, that was a problem for a minute. Last summer, last summer was the summer of chairs, um, you know, because I knew we were moving. So I had to get all my chairs done. I think I painted 48 chairs last year. Jeez. And I hand paint, so I don't spray. I hand paint. So, yeah. But, so, yes, I don't do that anymore. But I definitely like French provincial furniture. Um, I like mid-century modern. I'll always love Art Deco, those types of things. Where do you store it all? I mean, 48 chairs and, you know, dining room <laughs> sets. Where, yes. where? How do you store all this? Well, she's got a half finished uh, coffee table behind her right now. Wait, that? Yeah. No, that's done. No, the other side. <laughs> oh, no, that's the base. That's the base for my pink piece. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. 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 So, um, storage wise. So, I have my studio is actually a two car attached garage. Um, and then my husband has a workshop, which is two car detached garage. And then um, it kind of spills out all over the place, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> yeah, but I, you know, I totally regain control of it. It's not as chaotic. It's not. That's what I say too. I don't have a problem. <laughs> I've got total control. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of an illness, I think. Um, yeah, and I buy vintage, you know, small things because I sell vintage, um, you know smaller items as well so you know it's not just furniture um yeah so i have many many collections now how are you planning on moving all of that or are you is there a plan 
fire sale. For liquidating, or are you going to leave some of your items at the little or at the uh, place that you that you resell them? So my goal is to sell it all, you know, have it all gone, um, you know, which may not be realistic. You know, I do really well at the shop. I'm so grateful for for being there. I have a great customer and client base, um, you know, but if I have projects that I can't quite get to, you know, I'll reach out to my local furniture people um, that I have connections with and, you know, offer it up to them for sure. I just don't want to move projects. Sure. Is, right. Right. Yeah. That's a good mindset. Yeah. So you're beginning to make a huge, you know, life change with a big, it's not yes. like you can ship this easily on the internet, all of your, your, your work. So you're kind of right. leaving your client base. Are, is that right. going to make you nervous or anything? It is. I, I kind of feel like I'm, I'm in a, a pretty special place right now because I'm getting ready to start fresh somewhere else. So I can make it whatever I want. Um, you know, and I've been selling in a shop. I've been at Lulu's almost new and Slidell since 2017, I think. Um, you know, what's my new business going to look like? You know, uh, right now I just paint pieces because I love them and I want to sell them with my vision. I don't normally do commissions. Will I do that in the future? I, maybe. Maybe. Um, Will I do like pop-up markets or that sort of thing? I have, yeah, who knows? Who knows? I could do anything. I love that you're so hopeful because I would be so full of dread. (laughs) 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 Yeah, right. Yeah, well, uh, you know, and I would say that change can be hard, you know, for me. But, you know, being a a Navy wife, we've moved our entire married life. So pretty much wherever you go, you know, you, you find a way, you know, to be successful and, um, make your mark and, and try to be yourself. Yeah. It can be challenging, you know, but going back to Ohio, because that's where I grew up, you know, it kind of feels like I'm going home, you know, where I'm, where I'm, yeah. So we're excited. It is a little terrifying though. Yeah. (laughs) Just a little. Now, what's the story of the quilt that's the backdrop of most all of your pictures? So um, quilting is kind of a newer passion for me. So, and you know, so I guess going back to the auctions, I always buy the raggedy old quilts and, um, you know, because I think there's so much goodness to that. Someone took the time, you know, to sit down and, and put their hands on, you know, fabric and turn it into something. So... Um, you know, so that was a rescue polyester quilt. I love polyester quilts. Um, so I repaired it and, you know, I don't have a, a, a staging wall per se. Um, I really want one when we move, you know, something a little more pulled together, but you know, the colors are there and I just, mm-hmm. it makes me happy. So, so yeah, that's kind of, it was an auction find. You're getting to move to your new workshop and, yes. um, we ask everybody on the podcast the question of what would be the first three tools? What are the mm. most important tools for you to get up and running in your new workshop? So I would say uh, my paint line, you know, using quality paint and brushes, you know, you have to have that first and foremost. Um, I use a, a, a good sander. I use a surf prep sander. My husband oh, wow. got it yeah. for me for a couple of years ago. And, you know, it's a game changer because it's light and, you know, I can, it's not huge in my hand. And so I love that. So, and then I would also say, um, Bondo, <laughs> if that's yeah, a tool. Or buy a saw and then you yeah. don't need Bondos. No, I'm joking. That, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I have a saw. I have one. Jen, on that surf prep sander, I, I've always been yeah. kind of curious about those. Do you have like the cushioned pad? I do. Yeah. So, and, and so it kind of works on curves and, and waves and things like that. It does. It does. Um, yeah. So it's pretty much, you can use it on just about anything on any surface, um, you know, as long as you're using the correct grit and all of that. But yeah, no, it was a game changer. My husband bought it for me. I was like, I don't need this. And He's like, you're going to like this. And yeah, yeah they sponsor so many amazing. makers and so many podcasts. You think they'd sponsor the podcast that had a guy who actually made surfboards on it. <laughs> you, you think, think. So. you would think, think so. So if you had to pick 
one style of furniture for this from this point on that you would only work on this one style, like a mid-century modern or art deco or something, what what would you choose? I would probably choose French provincial just because it looks so pretty in just a basic white. But then if you use a bright green or a pink or a blue, it's just beautiful in any color. Okay. That's awesome. And so if you had to only keep one of your kids and get rid of the rest <laughs> of them, how would you break it to Griff that he had? I would never. She already did. Yeah. He lives in Ohio. She's in Louisiana. Right. But we're moving to Ohio. I'll get oh. to see him so much. I'm so excited. I'm just joking, obviously. But um, if you could, uh, maybe thanks so much for coming on and tell everybody where they can find you. Well, thank you all for having me on here. It was a lot of fun and you are so kind. Um, so on Instagram, I'm Jen Griffin underscore the black sheep. And then I'm also on Facebook and that would be the black sheep vintage collectibles and repurposed furniture. Got all the keywords in there. I know. <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, Jen, thanks so much for coming on. It's been a, it's been a blast. All right. Thank you all. Thanks, thanks Jen. Jen. Great. Good night. All right. We'd like to take a minute and thank the folks that help us out over on Patreon. If you'd like to join over there, patreon.com slash making our way podcast. We've got Marion Ward with Creative Ward Gallery, Vincent Ferrari from Digitally Creative, Justin from Bear Make It, Scott Oram from Daddy Yourself, Matthew from Artigino Sorio, and Marcel Este. Those folks are in the top tier. And then the middle tier, we've got Tony Langer from Langerworks. Brendan McDonough from McDonough Design, Susan DePlantis from Hearth and Garden Art, Stephanie Taddeo, Kyle with Footwork Woodworking. And then on the first tier, we've got Jacob with Griffin Makes, Keith Drennan from Blackthorn Concepts, Jacob, the other dog design, Eric from Overall Makerworks, uh, Jeff Stein, a weird guy, Dave Bauer, Caitlin Landrino, Morley Kurt, Greg from Platte Valley Woodworks, The Grant Alexander, Jen Griffin, the Black Sheep, Brian from Moonshine Leatherworks, Makeshift Podcast, Maritime Knife Supply, Jay-Z and D at Just My DIY, Henry at HT1 Metalworks, Brad Harrison at Brad's Customs, Steve with One Old School Pirate, Kelsey Watson, and Steve at Making at Home. Thanks a bunch, folks. So talking with Jen, I was thinking about things that we've either flipped or upcycled. Do you guys have any stories about that kind of stuff? The first piece of furniture that I um, I flipped was a dresser that I had actually have to take responsibility for making it look as horrible as it did whenever I finally restored it. Because I bought it like 25 years ago at my great aunt's estate auction. And it was just a simple three drawer um, dresser. I had just had Anna. So I needed one for her, a dresser for her room. So I used it and I just... Oh my God. Thinking back, I'm almost embarrassed to say I just got some, I don't even know what kind of paint I got. I'm assuming it was acrylic and I slapped it on there. It was just the nastiest paint job any ever. And then I got these white as cheap as, you know, cause you're newly married. You're poor as Job's Turkey. You know, I just got some cheap, terribly ugly pulls um, to put on there. But that dresser went from being in Anna's room to the spare room and then eventually in the garage. I mean, I've had it and reused it in different places for 20 plus years. years. And then the last time, the last thing I'd used it for prior to flipping it was it was my um, drill press station in the shop. So it really, you know, made its round. So by the time I needed to redo it, it was looking mighty rough, but I, um, Anna had moved. She's in an apartment now. And so I'm like, let me try this whole fancy, you know, the milk paint concept. Mm -hmm. I will never deal with that again. I will never <laughs> ever, especially since I have used what Jen was talking about, that Dixie bell paint. That's my go-to for furniture ever, ever again. Um, but I used the real milk paint. It was an education. I did like how it turned out, but it was more work than it probably should have been. And that's probably my fault as much as anything. Um, but it was a great project. I stripped all the white, nasty layers of paint off of there. 
And um, and then the top, I actually went to, you know, went to the raw wood and left that a natural look. And then I had like a real like deep, like a almost a blood red or like a an old barn red. It just I, I was really, really tickled with how it turned out in the end. But um, it took me a little. And actually, now that I think about it, I started that project with one of the furniture flip challenges or whatever. It's just I just didn't get it done near in time but it was a lot of fun i i really really enjoyed doing that project furniture flipping is always been something i was interested in you know modify everything that's i'm dying right. to do something like that the problem is i just don't have space i mean i have nowhere to put the projects in queue or the finished products and i've never been good at selling my own stuff having said that there's been a few things in my, you know, my 20 years or 30 years of making stuff that really stand out when it comes to furniture flip. One of them that we still have today, it's one of the rare ones. Kristen had this desk. I think we bought it at Target and it was a computer desk. It had two drawers on each end. And then the middle was a really wide keyboard drawer that pulled out and it was, you know, wood colored or whatever. She had that in Louisiana and we moved to Houston. There was nowhere to put it. And I was like, well, maybe we can put it at the end of the hall. It would fit between the wall and where the doorway is. It's just way too wide. And so we took it apart and figured out where we could cut it to get it to not only fit in the hall, but then we flipped the legs. So like the legs had a decorative cutout. We flipped that to where the cutout was on the outside. So it would go around the toe molding and then got this really nice red paint on it. But my favorite part is going to the hobby stores and finding the cool drawer pulls. And we found this really cool, like antique weathered copper looking owl and put that on the drawers. And it came out really awesome. And we still have it. It's the most useless piece of furniture in our house. It serves no purpose <laughs> whatsoever, but it was the first thing that we did. First project we did together in this house. And so it's made its way to kind of stick around. It's one that I've always really liked. Cool. What about you, Austin? I don't really like do furniture, furniture, really. Um, cause Jamie is not into that kind of stuff. <laughs> like she wants <laughs> new stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, so like my shop table, that, that was two high school shop, you know, like the two inch thick maple shop class tables. They have their like six by six squares. Um, I took two of those and put them together to make my, um, my main work table in my shop and then welded up, a, a um, one by two rectangular tubing frame kind of the same kind of the way my uh my dining room table similar to the same design um but that's really the extent of what i can think of that i've done as far as furniture goes well but that table is super handy too yeah it's it's beefy you know like i, right. I bet you just the top is it's got to be close to 500 pounds because it's not only is there the wood there but there's 60 years of kids nailing nails into the top of it, you know, because it's like in the, in the, in about 40 pounds of gum on the bottom that I left that on was, there. That was my yeah. next question. How much of that did you, did you just like scrub it down for any other like grossness? Nope. That kids I, the... I literally when I because I could I couldn't pick up the pieces by myself. Um, so mm -hmm. I, I would I could get it in there by sliding it on its side. And then I laid the table down against the metal frame and then oh. I would like heave it up there. And when I did that, it sheared off like 20 pounds of gum on the frame Nasty. of the table, <laughs> dropping it on the floor. And uh, it was so gross. And it's like, uh, cause that table, it was actually in my dad's high school that he worked at. Uh, right. That's when I knew they were going to auction. Um, and uh, so those tables were from 1966. So there was so much gum on there, like unbelievable amounts of gum. Maybe if you can think of one, we can do a real quick worst attempt at a flip to kind of close this out. I'll start my most misguided furniture upcycle or, or whatever. When I was 20 or no, 19, I was riding home from college and on the side of the highway, I saw this recliner, lazy boy recliner and just, pieces and i pulled over and picked this thing up and brought it home to my parents house i was like on my way home for summer break and my dad lost his mind he was like what are you doing that thing's probably has fleas i can't people threw it out for a reason and i was like no this is my summer project 
And so I took it apart. We mom helped me unstitch everything. We used the old pieces as patterns and we recovered this chair. And I kept this chair all through college. And I went to LSU, you know, fighting tigers. Mm -hmm. We recovered it with uh like a fake black fur on the arms and sides Lord. and tiger stripe up the middle. And it was hideous, but awesome at the same time. Nobody else had one like that. Right. And every time you got, you know, one of those goofy girls that turned into one of the live, laugh, love ladies, they were all about it. And so <laughs> it, it, it was kind of hit or miss. And I, we, whenever we moved, I didn't take it with me, but it was a, a misguided fun attempt. You know, the skills were there. The taste probably wasn't. I'll see if I have a photo of it. Maybe we can post it on the Instagram. So I, I know for sure that, so I bought, uh, you guys know what a tanker desk is. So I bought one. It's like the all metal desk. You see it in like old government buildings and stuff like that. I bought one and with the idea that I was going to mount a lathe on it. And then I was kind of like, man, that's going to be too short really for the lathe to be functional on this thing. Cause you really want it up a little bit higher. And I was like, well, maybe I'll just going to redo this and, 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 um, turn it into a, a piece of furniture for the house. So I pulled, they have like a, a, it's like a laminate or some kind of leather top on those things. Probably asbestos. It's probably what it probably, is. Probably. Yeah, probably. And uh, <laughs> so I pulled that off and it was so rusty underneath. And then I started really looking and it looks like it's been painted about 70 times. Oh yeah. And so that one is a fail for me. Cause I was like, man, now it's like, if I want to make it functional, it's got so much work to do. Yeah. Yeah. And then I ended up buying this other one and using it for my desk because it was in like literally perfect condition. And um, so now I'm like, I'm torn because I, the debt, like the desk that I use, I use two desks in my office, like an L. And so one of them is like where my computer and everything is. And then one of them is where I lay out all my orders. So it's like a big oh. table and all the orders go on there and they get fulfilled and then packed. Um, So I want another desk that matches this tanker desk that I have. But what I'm thinking about doing is blowing the top off of that one. That's kind of, it's roached anyways. And it, and then mm -hmm. gluing up a walnut top and then just oh, using the nice. drawer base and the, and the leg, the, the other side's legs. Mm. And then something like that. I don't know, but I don't want to do all the sanding and refinishing. So I figured if I just shit can the top, that'll <laughs> save me from having to mess with it. What about you? You never bought anything at an auction that you're like, this is going to be great. And then you get it home and you're like, wait, I was definitely blinded by the adrenaline to win this. I have oh, a lot of those stories. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's stuff that I just, I mean, yeah, I'll buy a lot of crap at auctions, but it's not normally projects that I'm going to work on. It's just stuff that I think I'm going to use and that I don't ever, right. you know? So uh, yeah, I, I do enjoy a good auction, but probably more so than you know i should not be going to auctions regularly yeah <laughs> i get um i'll get fired up like if we go to an estate sale and yeah. it's got a lot of my kind of stuff i'll get fired up and I'll, I'll be like deep in and i'm like just throwing stuff in my box and um sometimes i'll go like then I, like i bought one time i bought a ton of drills um, drill bits, right? You know, inde drill indexes. Cause this guy, he was like a, he, he worked on uh, Mercedes cars and he had a ton of, um, left-handed drills, drill bits. Hmm. And, um, which are super, super handy if you're trying to remove bolts, broken bolts. Oh, because what will happen is if you start drilling out a metal bolt, that's, a, that's right. been snapped off. A lot of times the drill bit will grab and because you're using it backwards, uh -huh. it'll actually grab the metal and then just the, the original bolt that you're trying to get out, it'll back it out. So it'll, it'll, it'll save you. It'll, I can't even tell you how many times that the bits that I bought at that estate auction have saved my ass on trying to fix something. Huh. And uh, everything's you're joking when you're like, get the left-handed drill bits. They're really left-handed drill bits. Yeah, <laughs> like, I thought you were just, yeah, I didn't realize yeah. that was the thing. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're a thing. Most people don't have them, you know, but... When I saw it, I even remember I walked, I took it up to the guy who was like in charge of the auction and I, on the index, it said left-handed drills. And I was like, how much are these? And the guy started laughing. He's like, oh, those could be cheap. You know, thinking it was a joke. And I was like, thinking it was oh, a that joke. sounds great. How cheap? <laughs> he sold them to me for a dollar. So it was oh, a really wow. good deal. Yeah. That was an estate sale or an auction? Yeah. Estate sale. Man, I need to get out Ooh. more. This weekend, I saw a guy show up with a Stanley uh, hand plane. He paid 20 bucks for it. Yeah. 
that auction was money, man. Like I, I bought so many lathe tools because somebody had already bought the lathe. But I walked up to the guy in charge and I was like, where's the anvils at? Because that's always the first question I ask. And he's like, man, two guys just found them buried underneath that Mercedes over there and they just bought them and left. I was like, damn it. It's like always. So I've learned my lesson, like immediately walk up to them and ask them where the anvils are. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a review and subscribe. We'd love to hear feedback from you. So reach out to us on Instagram at Making Our Way Podcast. You can find all of our latest individual content on Instagram or YouTube. I'm at High Caliber Craftsman. Christy is at Twisted Twine Woodworking. And Dean is at Dean underscore Duplantis. Thanks again, friends. Yeah, it's my my Tuesdays with Jacob um, are, are the best. Yeah, I love that kid. He's so talented and, you know, he's such a good supporter. He helps me with all the Instagram things and, you know, I, because I don't know how to do most of the things and he cheers me on. Yeah, he's super helpful.